Hi, I'm Christina, the CEO at Scopio, the largest library of authentic photos. You can find us on Instagram at Scopio Images, and this is a series bringing the most talented photographers around the world to give us tips, ideas, and tell us about current events they really care about. We know you will find actionable, real steps to build your career and ideas. Hope you enjoy. I'm Christina Hawatma. I'm the founder and CEO of Scopio, the largest library of authentic photos. We have a marketplace of over 200,000 images that have been submitted from more than 150 countries where anybody can uh, submit images and make money on the side. Um, and businesses come and use images to create, to get inspired, um, and to build their businesses, uh, where we have over 13,000 businesses that uh, use Scopio. And uh, we use artificial intelligence and machine learning and the way we search and process the images, making it easier for anybody to contribute and sell their content. Amazing. So cool. So before we get into where you are now, I want to go back in time a little bit. Can you tell us yeah. about like where you grew up, your childhood? Did you always kind of have that entrepreneurial spirit? Yeah, they always ask that either <laughs> entrepreneurs are born or they're made. I was always creative, I think, and off the beaten path, which is like, which I think to me now is entrepreneurial skills. But at the time it was like, I love to do projects. Um, so like my mom always says, I used to find you in the closet, like cutting things and creating like stories. And, um, so that creativity, I think when you see that in a child now, I would recognize that where before you're like, oh, they just like to do arts and crafts. Really, they're trying to build things. And that could be an internet company one day, like I did, or it could be something, um, smaller that they enjoy. So I believe that part of the creative, uh, process actually going through it is, is really valuable. Um, and I would encourage more people to actually have an idea and just do it, whatever it is. Um, and I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri. My parents are immigrants from Jordan. They're doctors. Um, I grew up with three sisters. Uh, so I was in a, an, and, uh, all girls household. And, uh, and then I had a journey that took me across the world and ended me ultimately at Columbia, uh, in New York for grad school. Uh, where I have in invented this idea, which to me was a fun project, uh, a concept. But then I got so obsessed with um, obsessed with the opportunity that I could make an impact in the world, which is through changing perceptions and stereotypes through imagery. And um, and that at the time was so small. It was just about uh, organizing and filtering images based off of protests from Twitter and Instagram. So like uh, the Arab Spring, Black Lives Matter, there were protests in Venezuela. And I was like, these images are amazing. Everybody should see them. Why are they just stuck here? How can I get them so that people can actually see them and use them? Um, so that's where Scopio, which stands for Scope, Scope It Out, came from. Very cool. So let's dive, <laughs> let's dive into your time at Columbia and how this idea actually came about. So you're seeing all these images on social media. How did it actually come to fruition? Because I'm sure what it is now is different, way different than what it was initially. Yeah, it is like, I think the biggest um, misconception in building businesses or in tech is that your idea actually is what happens in the end. So if we, again, started businesses with the concept that this is going to change over and over again, have its own life, then that would be much easier to handle. Because when I started, I was like, this is my idea. And then it just like kept changing, changing, changing. And you're like, it's almost like you're just managing it, but it's just growing 
where it wants to grow. And that's from market forces, from the people that you meet that push you forward. Um, and uh, that, that to me is such an interesting experience because when I had thought of this, um, I just did like a pitch competition. There was this small pitch competition and everyone was like, what a good idea. And I was like, yeah, this is. So then I would just kept kind of working it on it on the side. And then every time I would have a paper that would give me leniency, I would write about this subject. Every time I had like a presentation, I would talk about this. So I became super hyper-focused on the subject area. And I was like, why, why can't we find these photos? Why are they stuck on Instagram? Like, why don't, how, what op image options do we have? So I just kept going with it and then figuring out how a business could work throughout that, uh, with that idea. And um, that's the really exciting part of starting a venture, of course, because you're like, wow, everything's new and exciting. But what I did, I think that what set me apart and like gave me that like leap was that um, I got an opportunity to work for a venture capital firm. So I worked for a seed stage firm and they invested money, but they also invested engineering resources for businesses. So I got to see their whole portfolio, how their businesses were running, the big ones. I got to learn how they were building their apps and websites. Like I would watch the engineers and visit the sites of the businesses. And then I would ask questions about my business plan. So that gave me like a, an understanding of how I could frame it. And then when I had gone back for my second year of school, then I was like, you know what, I'm going to do this. Uh, I really believe in this as an opportunity. And that's when I really delved into the business part of it. Like how do I start a business and, um, and then would find resources and people that would be able to help me frame that. And that's how it started. Very cool. So were you studying tech or something in that field or was this kind of something way different than what you were actually studying? Yeah, I was studying, I was in the international affairs school and I was studying technology policy. So at that time I was really interested in how like governments and people talked online. Like now we're like Twitter is all politics. And I was like, what are the rules? And I had weirdly been like studying that for like three years before in my undergrad about Facebook groups and how people go and join Facebook groups and they go to like a protest or, or they go create an event. And I was like, Oh, there's like this connection. So it was like always a research, super, super interesting thing for me, but I never thought I would have a career based off of that subject ever. Gotcha. <laughs> and then how, so now you do have a co-founder. So how did that come about? So I started for about, um, I think like a year and a half, I was by myself and it was just basically me going around the university, asking engineers, asking business people, trying to make this thing like happen while I had all of these free resources. And then I was like, I had only the tech part of it. So we only, I only had a database that would search Twitter at the time for hashtags to find photos. And I was like, I need a designer to show what, like I have nothing online. So I randomly, I went to a conference at Parsons School of Design and, um, and I met this, this guy that was like on the faculty and I was like, I have this business and I am looking for somebody to design the site for me. Uh, can you put an internship request out? Like in full confidence, like, uh, because I really believed in it and he sent it out and my business partner now, responded right away and she's like I love this idea I, I'm a photographer and I'm so into protests and I, these photos are amazing and 
Um, so we started working together when she was in grad school. And then when she finished a year later, I was like, you are staying with me. We're making this happen. Um, so luckily she believed in it. And we had the support at the time of something called Columbia Startup Lab, which I got into right when I graduated, which is a year of co-working space where they like bring people to talk to you and stuff. And it's like a cheaper co-working space. So it was easier for me to then just like doing it by myself in my apartment. I had the space and for her, it was also like easier to get into that. So we had a year to kind of come up with how we were going to make this happen during that year. Gotcha. Very cool. And then how, so at this time when you're first starting out, are you actually getting like submissions from photographers yet? Or is this kind of just curating content? Yeah. At that time we had just built a search engine to search hashtags. So we would search like black lives matter. And then we would find all the images that were coming from Twitter and Instagram through their APIs. Um, and then what we had built was, uh, and I had found partners to help me with this, was to curate uh, the images. So if something was like an advertisement or a cartoon or like those things that always like run around, we would clean those out. So it would just be the original photos that we searched for. So we got up to 60 million photos like that. Wow. And we were like, it doesn't matter because we don't have the rights to use them or distribute them. So they were just like stuck. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you get over that hurdle then? Like, was that like just reaching out to everybody or like, what's the next step there? So we had some interesting pilots at the time. We got like Thomson Reuters, we had Google, we had a bunch of really big companies that were using this search system. And, but then we couldn't figure out like how to move forward with that. And then if I ever meet a, an executive at Twitter, I like have so much beef with them because they, their API is so expensive. So when we were in a pilot with Thomson Reuters, they did one search that cost me $6,000 just to search a hashtag. Wow. And I was like, I'm like a broke student. I don't have anything. Like, and, but at the time we had like a little seed funding and I was like, I can't build a business like this, like without raising $60 million right now. And it was like really frustrating because we really believed in that search. Um, but then we were like, you know what, at the end of the day, people just want the photos. They just want to be able to use them. So why can't we just get people to submit photos to us? And then we'll just tag them and title them and use the AI that we have to just make them visible. Then people can search. And that way we can just build a library that forever we can be like, a, in my head, it was like a library. So in a hundred years, people can come back and they can see all these images and use them. And that was more valuable to me than um, what we had been doing and my business partner thought the same. So then we said, okay, let's just everyone that we've talked to tell them to come to our website and people did right away. And we were growing really fast in terms of people coming and submitting and showing us what they wanted to submit, not just what we wanted them to submit, you know? Mm -hmm. That's really cool. And then can we talk about like the submission process for any like photographers out there that may not know how that works? And because it sounds like just like the research I've done that your process is actually way easier than some of the other ones. Like you guys kind of do some of the heavy lifting after they do submit photos. Can you kind of talk about that process? Yeah. So in, in stock photography, 
they there used to be the way it was set up was that they would do like photo shoots and then they would uh, hire models like to sit around an office and then you'd like be working and those mainly were going on print magazines so the images the way they're structured and the way that they were like tagged and titled were made for that distribution but now we have millions of businesses even like you for your podcast or anyone that has a small business or an idea needs photos right you're on pinterest you're creating boards um, and you need fresh images that match your audience or else you look like out of touch so uh, meanwhile think you know we're thank goodness we already have all this content it's like we take more photos than in all of history combined every year. So, um, so the tagging we felt and the license part was like kind of old school. So, so we're like, instead of people understanding like copyrights and licenses and where these photos can be used and also how to tag your image and make it more um, available, let's do that ourselves and just make this simple so that anybody around the world, whether or not, you know, English, whether or not, you know, how to sell your images can do that. So, you just go to Scopio's website, you submit the photos that you have, you can submit more anytime, there's no limits. And then we, um, you send a link out to anyone that's in the photo, that gives us the right to sell like Abby's likeness and that way she knows that her image is being distributed, which is basically the main difference between stock photography and non, is that you're getting those permissions. And, um, and then that image goes and it gets titled and tagged and curated and put up on the website where businesses can then search and use that photo. So it takes like a, a long step process and really shortens it for the user right now. That is so cool. And I think that is a huge help because in this digital age, content is king. And yeah. I think, oh yes, yeah. <laughs> king, queen, all. Um, but yeah, like content is powerful and we all need content no matter what kind of business we run. And yeah. I think sometimes people get into the mindset of, oh, I need to do it all of myself and there aren't any yeah. good options. And something I really think it's cool that you guys do is that emphasis on diversity and getting images from around the world. Because I just remember like looking at different like stock options, like even a few years ago, it'd be just like the same cheesy guy. Like it's just like yeah, it's doing weird. different things. Yeah. Like it was just like the same person, same outfit, just different, like weird poses. And it's like, Hey, that has nothing to do with my business. Um, but can you talk, kind of, can you talk to, uh, the diversity element and the, I guess more like realistic and like the emphasis you guys put on those things? Yeah. So that's our number one emphasis is that again, for the first time ever, no matter where you are, you have an opportunity to build a business, right? You have an opportunity to grow besides a few like really difficult scenarios, but generally the internet has leveled the playing field for us. So there's no reason why talent can't be used no matter where you are. And we felt that was a huge problem in the industry, especially with things like the woman eating salad, like all those stereotypes that now don't exist anymore. So, um, so that's where our perspective came from with that. And that's why we had built all these different things to make it easier for anyone around the world to submit, but also to value that. So it, you know, if you're looking for an image of an apple, you know, it could be, it could come from Nigeria. Like, why do you, why would you care? And we have some beautiful ones that are like with people with apples on their heads like that. Um, and that just, it just goes to show their creativity. And I think empowering these people to realize that they can also, they're also building their businesses, they're making money. You know, the US dollar, for example, is really strong. So if a photographer in Brazil is submitting their image, 
then they'll be making money that maybe is even more than their current income. So leveling that and being able to pay photographers around the world is something I'm very excited about, especially as we can see the business growing and what that can do for these, for people around the world and for art in general, you know, creativity. Um, and then same on the, the buyer side, these creatives are, you know, it's like kind of like melds all together. Um, but one thing I really urge people to do is, so we, in the submissions, a lot of times people are creating what they think other people want. So like an a image of a pretty woman on a beach. There's so many of images like that. Like we see them on our Instagram feeds all the time, but like getting an image of you right now, running your podcast, that's hard. So we always like encourage, like, show us your real life. Try to bring these elements out. Show us your mom, show us your grandfather, show us your kids. Like we want to see real life um, content versus what we, I feel like we've been really peer pressured in this like perfect image, which we don't necessarily like, it doesn't really serve us all the time. So that's where I say like authenticity is important versus um, that's that, still that staging that we do. That's so cool because I- Like if I had a photo of you on your podcast, that would be like my number one seller right now. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's so cool because I think right now when a lot of people think about stock photography, they don't associate it with authenticity or real life. Yeah. It's just like that studio moment. So like what a cool concept to be trying to break that down. And that's what people actually need. So I love it. That's super cool. <laughs> yeah. it's We need like people. Yeah. People can participate and that's what we're really trying to get the message out. So it's not just about photos, but it's also about like participating in this um, movement to change the way the internet looks and feels because you know that's that content pool of the internet and that's where everybody's getting their images from super cool and then I kind of want to talk about uh, like the usage rights part just a little bit just because I know a lot of people when they're desperate for content they just pull something right off Google yeah. which is scary um, can you kind of just talk about like why you should be aware of that and like why we should not be doing that <laughs> Yeah, you have to be careful with it. So um, there are billions of dollars of lawsuits that happen from copyright infringement on Google. And what's really scary is it's not the size of your business. So you could just be literally like not even have a business and use that photo on a blog that you created. And the way that they search is they're back searching that photo. So you're going to get in trouble through using that the back search of the photo, not the size of the business. And I have a friend that even had to screenshot his bank account by getting a letter from a photo that he used on Google. And it was like a really silly photo too. And um, they wanted to find him thousands of dollars for using it. So he had to be like, I don't have money. This is my bank account. And then they finally left, they left him alone. So that's a lot of people think, oh, I'm a small guy. So it doesn't affect me, but that's really how it works. Um, so that's why a lot of businesses will go to a, um, a, a stock site or um, like even a free photo website. So there's sites like Unsplash, which has billions of uh, visitors. I'm sure a lot of people listening use it. That is tricky because anyone that's in the photo has said okay. So if that, if like say Abby and um, her friend were friends and she took a, sh a photo of her and then they stopped being friends and then that photo started to be used everywhere, she, that friend might get, she might get um, like put a lawsuit out and be like, I don't want my photo to be used. And then you would have to take those down from your website or your advertisement or whatever. Um, 
sometimes there's like logos and trademarks. So if you're using a photo and there's a Nike logo in it, Nike might also say, hey, you can't use that because there's Nike in my, lo- in my image. So that's where on Scopio it will say commercial use or editorial use. Editorial you can use to describe an event or situation and usually has logos and trademarks in it and is not authorized by the people in it. And then the commercial ones you can use for whatever, you can edit them, crop them. So what we did to just make this so much easier for people is that we included the, what they call extended license in their subscription. So that you can use this photo for whatever you want and you don't have to feel like you're gonna be violating those terms. Like we have very um, loose terms for that because we're dealing with mostly small businesses, individuals that don't understand this. But the real experts in the space have been working like the ones at the big publishers and the big brands, they have had that role for like 10, 20 years that they've been just doing those licenses and making sure that they're not violating them. So that's, um, that's where like you want to go and just know that that's all taken care of for you. So smart. And I think, yeah, people need to be more aware of that because no one is, oh, yeah. like I'm fine. Like, no, <laughs> like it's a big deal. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, free I photo just, sites are easier than Google. So if you have to choose, go to a free photo site before going and taking it from Google. Totally love it. Those are, there's sometimes they're traps even like they I'm want scary. you to do that. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> Don't do it guys. Um, so I touched on it a little bit, but I want to dive into it just a little bit more. So kind of like who should be using stock photos? Like you talked about all like the different kinds of businesses that use your websites. And I think sometimes the people that are maybe like a really small business or even just like a single influencer think, oh, well, I have to go take that myself. If it is something like I don't know. I live in Arizona, some cactus, like, Oh, I have to go take it myself just because I I'm not big enough to use stock imagery or I don't know what's out there. So can you kind of talk to the people that are more like weary of using stock imagery and how they can incorporate it into their business? Like, do you have to be a huge company to be using it? Yeah. So I think the, the more, um, the thing you want to ask is what you're using that photo for. So if you want to show your creativity, you can use editing apps like Canva or Pixar or do editing on top of that image where it would just be, you know, totally different than the actual photo you get. So you can change the background with the cactus or if you wanted to add like, um, like dimensions around it, then that's your, that's your original art. So it doesn't really matter that it was a stock photo, Um, but it had that look that you felt like, and we have that all the time. Like, for example, uh, somebody will have an Instagram account and they'll talk about um, Beverly Hills. Then we'll use the images of the palm trees they get from Scopio. And then you can write um, whatever you wanted to say. So it just gets a better angle on it. Also, a lot of times you can edit that, cut them, and use multiple images together. So I think it's using all the tools is the hard part. It's not the photo that's the hard part or like resizing it and making it fit for you. Um, So a lot of businesses do that. Also, I really wanna stress the importance of anybody that doesn't have a business. Your personal brand is very important. Like if you're trying to get a job and you're a student, like you need to have some sort of base to go from. So people are gonna be looking you up on social media. Whether or if you're a small business and you're working on all these other things, social media or the the brand that you have is so important. So you can, and I wouldn't overthink things. So you can start off with these um, like stock images, then you can start to get better at editing them. 
And then once you know what you want to produce, then you can start to get better at producing them. And then you will just keep, and it will like follow you and help you along the way. So it's less about worrying and it's more about just trying and doing and creating. That is so smart. I love that you mentioned like the college angle because sometimes when you are in that college state, you don't have that many like materials or resources. Oh, pictures of me doing this. And something I noticed, like this is a random specific, but something that a lot of the college students do struggle with is finding a LinkedIn header image. And so like a stock image would be perfect for that, especially if you could edit it a little, add your own flair. I think like that's a great option. And I think people don't realize, like I love your tips about like editing them to kind of fit your brand because it would save you so much time. Like if I'm going to get a same picture of a cactus that probably already exists, I'm going to take hours out of my day to go take it. Whereas I could kind of just like edit it, add my little Pixar glitter on it and make it my own from like a stock image perspective. And it would have saved me hours. So I think that is great. Like everyone listen, (laughs) keep that in mind. (laughs) Seriously. And just try them and switch them out. And like, that's again, why it needs to be like easier to use photos that you don't have like a commitment to so that you can keep switching and trying different things. Definitely. You can even like change the color on the sweatshirt. Like you can do a lot of things where nobody would even know. So true. I love it. And that's just saving us time because we're working women. We got places to be. (laughs) That's perfect. It's all about volume. You know, it's really about getting as much out. Like there's like, I I love Gary Vaynerchuk. He says, put nine pieces of content out a day, you know? So it's sitting there and waiting and waiting is not, um, is not great because then you're that much behind. Totally. Definitely. Even when applying to jobs, like people use People that apply to work for me, they use presentation decks now. They don't even send me their resume. And they'll have like three slides of beautiful photos. And then they'll say like, this is what I've done in my life. And I'm like, wow, this person's really great um, versus just having a resume. So it's just really about that personal branding and showing your, um, showing that you can use all these new modern tools. Definitely. I love that. And since you brought it up, I would love to talk about what you look for in people when you want to bring on people, like when people are applying to work for you. So uh, like, because I'm sure a lot of people are curious about how to get their foot in the door in like the tech space. So can you kind of talk about what you look for? Yeah. So I think tech is really tricky. I'm really surprised at how slow it's moving in terms of people coming into tech. It's like really male dominated. It's really like, I feel like old school still. And um, even if they are jumping in, they're going into like easier things like selling um, like, like brick and like brick and mortar products, like t-shirt companies, like shoe companies, thing, makeup, things that are like obvious, I think, especially ones that are like prototyped to being women experts, like women are good at fashion and beauty, but you know, women can be like good at AI because AI training has like been terrible for like, I have images where they're literally braid braids, like a male wearing braids and it's like tags them as a woman from the existing systems. It's just, there's so many places to add value. So I think it's thinking beyond the, the like immediate uh, things that you might be good at and working with your passions and really going into those in terms of tech. So I like people that like my favorite types of people that approach me, they've like researched the company, they have a specific story or something that they, something like they want to give me advice. Like, Oh, by the way, like I noticed this and I could really work on that instead of just 
kind of telling me what they've done in the past. So it's like thinking forward and having that vision. And I think that everyone needs to have like this entrepreneurial mindset, especially for tech. So you were coming in, I want to know that you can like run, pick up any sort of project. And uh, so that's the best way to, um, to go in your job. Otherwise you're going to get, keep getting pushed while you're in there. If you're not just like always asking for things, like always wanting more responsibility. Um, and that's like, that's where people don't ask. I still don't understand why, like you don't lose anything by asking. And you even see this in salary negotiation. It's like, ask for something that, you know, is more than what you're, you deserve and you'll get that. And, um, and that's, we're still so behind, like so behind on that. And I see that as an employer now and it really, really upsets me because I'm like, people don't know their value and that's not fair. And, um, uh, especially young women. So I think it's the, it's good to start negotiating and practicing like even small things because we, it just, it's like not part of how we were trained usually. So I think learning how to negotiate anything, literally a bill at the table, um, a phone call, like bill or whatever, just keep practicing, 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 practicing. And then you'll start to do that when you're applying to jobs and then when you're in the job and stuff. So it's a practice thing. It's that's all it is. I love it. There's that quote, uh, if you don't ask, the answer is always no. So I think yeah. that that's exactly what And you can saying. ask multiple times. Like you don't <laughs> have to ask once. You just ask seven times before you get it. Totally. I love that. Um, I wanted to dive into the diversity side of things. So can you just explain why having imagery that's diverse uh, is so important for companies these days? Because I think sometimes either people don't realize their imagery isn't diverse or they're not like showing off a diverse audience or they just don't realize where they can get access to those images. So can you kind of talk about how companies can be more inclusive and why that's important? Yeah, I, I think we've come to the point where everybody wants it, but they don't know how to get it. And um, so that's, that's what Scopio is bringing to the table and what so many businesses are trying to work towards in every industry. Um, so it's really about you taking the, the research and going and finding what you need. Um, so I, yeah, I don't think that people are unaware now. Um, there's nothing more exciting than using somebody that's like promoting something that's moving forward and growing. Like, for example, I saw the uh, statistics on, uh, like black women entrepreneurs that have raised venture capital funding. It's like, I think I'm going to get the number wrong, but it's like 20 women ever have raised venture capital funding, black women. And if you think about it, like that's insane. So, wow. so that's like, it's really like the funds in this scenario that should go out and find these opportunities and the people that are, have these businesses they just need access. So it's really just like an access and like matchmaking, I think, experience because no one idea is better than the other. And, you know, there's so many markets and there's so much, like there's so much ability to have multiple businesses trying to solve the same problem. That's, you know, it's so, so that's where um, I think the issues really lie is just invisibility and people really doing that hard work. They don't want, they don't, you know, they don't want to. So some of these bigger businesses, they have quotas that they have to do for diversity um, and inclusion programs. So if they don't spend a certain amount of money on diverse businesses, then they'll like lose their ranking 
So these are like the bigger ones like Coca-Cola and Procter and Gamble. So that's how they've added it within the company to, for you to, as an incentive to go out and find vendors that have businesses like that women owned businesses. And then I think always like people at work when I'm going and selling or my team is selling, if they just like recognize, okay, this is a like female founder or um, she's selling like diversity. And I really like the mission of this business. Keep that in mind for when you have an opportunity to hire somebody like that, because you might not be the boss, but you can always bring it up in conversation. And then remember that like in six months, one year, and then you can support that business and then that business can grow. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's yeah. like, it's most people think, oh, that's really cool. Or like when I meet people all the time that are like, wow, like great job at what you're doing. But then it's like, okay, so like buy something, you know? Yeah. And, um, and help, help these businesses grow. Same thing as when you have, you know, if you meet somebody that has a cool product or idea and you can go and support them and then you can talk about that too. So there's a lot of ways that we, we can take personal responsibility within companies as making that choice like you like if you're working at your magazine and you have an article you have like you can write about anybody why don't why not write about um somebody that you really know that you can help you know it's tangential but i think that point is like so important um that personal responsibility piece that we have yeah definitely i like that you mentioned that um, I wanted to talk about you mentioned pitching earlier and like seed funding. And I know sometimes pitching is something that people struggle with. And I don't know if we talk about it too much. So do you have any tips or tricks or stuff that has helped you with like business pitches? Yeah. Practice, 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 <laughs> practice, 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 presenting, practice, talking, practice being like that same idea over and over again um, and presenting it. I think just keep talking, like keep trying. Um, and then it's really hard. I remember one of my presentations, I practiced for like four days in a row, a like one minute presentation. And it's all I did for four days. And I was up in front of like a thousand people. And at halfway through, I was like, I think I got it. I'll be fine. And then I was like, no, because I can't, you can't improvise your personality. You're just memorize the thing. So it takes you a long time to actually even just remember what you have to say. And then it takes you half the time after that to perfect the way you want um, to come off and um, how you can really bring your personality out. And that's like, this. it's so hard because in the beginning you become stiff and you know what you want to say and you say it. And then they're like, but then you lose your personality. So I think it takes years before you can get both of those together. And I'm sure you feel the same way when you're talking um, with people. So I think it's, yeah, it's a matter of practice, just like the negotiation thing. It's just, you have to do it enough times. Definitely. And I think- see enough people, talk to enough people. Like if somebody doesn't like it, like go to the next person. Definitely. And I like that you mentioned like that you just will keep getting better because I think sometimes we put pressure on ourselves like, oh man, my first pitch or my first interview, like what was that? But like, yeah. you just keep doing it. You will get better. So you can't like judge your first one and think that's how you're going to be the rest of the way. Yeah. And always ask for feedback too. So if it's appropriate, then say like, how could I have improved or even watch yourself if you can, if it's like a video, you can watch yourself and improve that way too. That's, I love that. Super smart. Don't, don't feel like it's a personal attack. It's just, 
the the name of the game. Mm-hmm, definitely. And okay, so I am always fascinated by people that can build something out of nothing and it's just like it, it can turn into something great. And I know that even like running a podcast some days, I'm just like, man, like, why am I doing this? <laughs> but like, then you like come back to your mission and like, you're like, oh yeah. And you get like all jazzed up again. But, um, have you ever wanted to quit and why didn't you like, why, like, why, like, what's that determination? Like, tell us about like that word, that determination, where does it come from? Yeah, it's so weird. Like, I wish I had an answer for you because it's just like, you don't, sometimes you don't know what's going on or why you're doing it. Especially when I wasn't like, I'm going to build a business. I was like, I love like images online and I want to help. So I think number one, the most, the, the most thing for me is all the like small wins that you have. So I've, I probably almost failed like six times, like fully failed like six times. Like maybe even more than that. It gets really scary at some points because you could go like up and then you go all the way down and you go up and you go all the way down. So at like those downs, you're like, oh, I've like, and then you think of things like, I haven't come this far to just come this far. So then you see all your little wins, like whether it's my investors and I'm like, these people really believed in me and you know, like 2% of women receive venture capital. I've already gotten people to believe in me and even if they're small, you know, small things or small wins, or I have this customer, or I have something that reminds you like, okay, you're already farther along than you think. Like, for example, if you have a podcast, I already have 15 podcast episodes. Okay. I've already interviewed 15 amazing people. So you have to tell yourself that. And then you also have to like, not be, this is, I think really important, not be in love with your product. So for you not be in love with your podcast, but you being in love with the mission of giving information, free information to people. So for me, it's like my passion is changing the, the way people see the world through the images that we produce, that we create. And then I'm like, every website on the planet is going to have my photos one day. So I'm like, that is what I care about, not the fact that I have a photo marketplace where people buy photos. So that when you become attached to your product, then if anything happens with it, then you become like totally depressed and you can't function. So you have to really care about the, the, the whole industry and, and then becoming that, go growing into that role. But honestly, it's very hard. And especially people that are starting that don't have money, like money is a very big problem for a lot of people, especially entrepreneurs. So that what you have to change what you care about, you know, change where you get your sources of um, confidence from, because you're not going to go out shopping and get feel better. <laughs> like most people do, you're going to have to feel inspired in different ways. And then the last thing I'll say is in your community. So having other business owners, having other people that are doing things so so like you can kind of fault like measure yourself with them like oh this person just you know for me i have like friends they've raised like 10 say they just raised 10 million dollars i'm like oh my god like this is my friend we started together you know and and then you you um you don't need all those other sources of negativity you can just focus on the people that are doing well that you're really excited about or it could be like i have a friend that has fed thousands of people in DC now with his company um, during Corona. So I'm like, wow, that's inspiring too. So it's that 
when you feel like really low, you should go to like a networking event or like a group thing where people are talking about their businesses that immediately, or like even a video online of uh, somebody that you admire, like Sarah Blakely, for example, from Spanx. She's always great just to watch her videos and you're like, okay, I know, like I can keep going. So um, they don't even need to know that you exist, like, and they could be your mentors. I love that. Okay. That like the golden, like everyone (laughs) re-listen to that. That was perfect. I'm so like, I'm like, yes. So inspired. Um, and I love Sarah Blakely too. She's so cool. (laughs) Um, or actually two questions before we head into rapid fire. One, I wanted to talk about the Forbes 30 under 30 in media. That's super cool. So how did that come about? Is that like a surprise or do you know what's going to happen? Like, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, that was one of the best days ever that we've had. Uh, It was a surprise to us. We knew that we were nominated, but we didn't know who nominated us. And apparently it's like this huge thing where like people like pull all their connections to get nominated and we just didn't know anyone. And then we found out that we were chosen by like Don Lemon from CNN and and, like a few, the founder of Vox, a few other people. And we're like, how did we get here? This is amazing. And so we don't know, but we filled out the application when we got nominated. And then they told us that a Forbes editor nominated us and we've never been on Forbes. So I don't know why a Forbes editor would know about us. And it's so amazing. It's actually really funny because my business partner got it and I missed it by one year. And they're like, we want to give it to Christina, but we're I'm a year late. And I was like, you know what? Every time somebody asks me this, I'm going to say, you should have started your business one year earlier. <laughs> Like I started, I was like 25, I think. And I was like, ah, you know, I should have been an entrepreneur earlier, but, but it's for Scopio. So I yeah. under, like, I'm so excited about it. Um, and yeah, it's, it's amazing. And, uh, and it's funny too, because when I first started my business, I remember somebody telling me once, like, I, I don't know, it was, it was, I didn't even have anything. It wasn't even like I had a product at the time. And he's like, I know I'm going to see you on Forbes one day. And I was like, yeah, right. Like, I'm right. It's just like a protest photo site. And then when I got on it, I like remembered what he said. And I was like, well, I guess things do come true. So uh, just keep working and you'll be surprised where it takes you. Love it. Love a full circle moment. <laughs> yeah. Um, it happens. It's like yes. people, don't, people think that, oh, that will never happen to me. Mm-hmm. But I'm like living proof that it can happen to you. So awesome. Last question. Biggest learning lesson as a founder and CEO? Uh, How much you have to learn every day. It's like so much knowledge that you just need to constantly be learning and educating yourself. You have to know everything. Like I didn't realize like how much I would have to learn all the time. So just consume, talk to people, read things, watch things. That's the only way you're going to improve and like get things done. Love it. Especially in tech. Oh, I bet. Things change so fast. Awesome. Okay, perfect. Okay, so are you ready for the rapid fire round? Yeah, let's do it. (laughs) Awesome. Okay, so first thing that comes to mind, and you can elaborate on it too, like if you want to share some background. Okay, so we'll start with an easy one. Morning person or night owl? Morning person. My day is not complete without? Working out. (laughs) So. (laughs) Uh, Okay, so this one's a little bit more specific to you. Favorite image you've seen on Scopio? Oh, that's tough. I know. I'm sorry. (laughs) Um, My favorite image. 
I'll have to say my favorite image is last summer we did a photo shoot in Jerusalem with Canva, the photo editing site. So we actually did a collaboration and we took images in this uh, tattoo artist's home in East Jerusalem. So we were like in her house. I usually check them out on our website. She has a photo with her and her cat and she's drawing and she's like a real life artist. And I love that image. And I love that experience. That is awesome. Um, I, I have blank at my desk always. Tea. Big tea drinker. I stopped drinking coffee like a year and a half ago. <laughs> um, favorite book, resource, podcast, what, something that has inspired you and has had an impact on you that you'd want to share? I'll put two. First is Gary Vaynerchuk. Listen to him all the time. He is, I joke and say that he's my dad to people. <laughs> and then, uh, or my father, and then um, I love uh, Huda Katan, the founder of Huda Beauty. She has awesome videos, and she's super funny because she works with her family. So uh, she's a self-made billionaire, and I watch her stuff all the time. I love both of those resources. Awesome. And then last one, I'm inspired by? Um, people like you that start their own thing and then go out and... and <laughs> tell like information givers. I like, I'm inspired by people that give out information. Awesome. <laughs> yes. Awesome. Love it. Okay. So where can we follow you, follow Scopio, all that good stuff? Um, so you can follow us at Scopio Images on Instagram and the website is scop.io, stands for scope it out. Come visit us, browse around or submit photos. Awesome. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thanks, Abby. I'm Christina, the CEO at Scopio. Thanks for tuning in. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Scopio Images. Head over to Scopio, S-C-O-P.io, for access to the world's largest library of authentic images. Scope them out. And if you're a photographer, don't forget to sign up to get the world to use your diverse images. Thanks, and see you next week.